What's up, world? It's Amy Ball, and welcome to Skeletons from the Closet, where we dig up the past to help you build a better future. Let's kick that closet door open, shall we? All right, guys. So selfishly, and I was just telling this to the guest, is that today I decided to do this episode because it's for my own benefit a thousand percent, but also for (laughs) you because I think so many people need to be made aware of the concepts of human design and how this relates to your everyday life, how this is something that you're born with and how you can use it to your advantage. And quite honestly, when I went down this wormhole about three years ago, it was during a time when I felt like the whole world was falling apart. And I was grasping for straws of enlightenment in literally every direction. And you may have been there too, where you just stumble on things. And it's like, why is my life stuck in this shit show of a loop that I keep experiencing? And I came across human design, which is in Amy terms, and I'm no way an expert or even close, (laughs) just this combination of quantum physics and spirituality and teachings from, gosh, I'm going to say this wrong, the watching, rooting, you're going to have to tell me, Christy. Um, and, (laughs) And it's just all these things put together, but it's proven and you see it play out. And so when I started really going down this wormhole, there was just so much information. And so I knew I had to get Christy today. She's a human design coach, basically the go-to for anyone that wants to learn more about this or was stuck in the loop like I was. And she has been doing this for years and years. And I am going to let Christy, if you don't mind, give a little bit of your background. Tell us what it is you do. Tell us what human design is. And oh, by the way, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. You've showered me with so much recognition. I love it so much. So I am Christy Inge. I teach people about their human design. I have a little bit of a heretical approach to traditional human design. Actually, one of the things that people like is that I don't get trapped in like guru worship. I'm really all about helping you trust yourself and really go on an inner journey of going listening to your own inner wisdom in traditional human design that can get a little sidetracked. And one of the things I'm well known for is contrasting the way I think about something with the way traditional human design thinks about it. The basics of human design, the mechanics of human design is a blend of both Western and Vedic astrology, the Kabbalah, the Hindu chakra system, and the I Ching. And there's some quantum physics thrown in there for good measure. (laughs) Basically the way that human design comes together in terms of like vibration or frequency, human design is taking these four different systems and finding where those systems vibrate with one another, where the frequency matches one another. I'll just give you an example from my own chart. The part that is I'm most interested in anyway is the gates in human design. And our gates, basically you can think of it like an archetype. It's archetypes that we are here to embody, play with, 
to expand our consciousness through. And it's there are 64 of them, which corresponds to the I Ching. There are 64 hexagrams in the I Ching. And so hexagram one corresponds to gate one in human design. And then gate one is in the G center, which is a human design, is part of the human design chart. And that corresponds to the heart chakra in the Hindu chakra system. And it corresponds to Tipareth in the Kabbalah. So it's all of these energies blended together that I, I do think that it makes something new. And my, my personal interpretation of what that newness is, it, it makes it for me anyway, and my experience and the people that seem to be drawn to my work is that, yes, it's spiritual and woo-woo and all that stuff, but it's also very like grounded and practical. And like, when we start to understand the language of the system and we start to understand what all these symbols and numbers and colors and lines and all this stuff, when we start to understand what that means and take that understanding out into our lives, it can have some pretty dramatic, very practical, grounded results, outcomes. It can create some pretty magical things. Now, I want to be clear, it's not the system that creates the magic. You're the one that creates the magic, but it's like taking this information in, digesting it, assimilating it, looking for where it's true for you. And then the way that I think about it is like turning up the dial on what's true for you and turning down the dial on what everyone else has told you to be. One of the beautiful things about human design, at least in my experience, is particularly to be clear, I don't think I'm the human design person for everyone. But when you find the person that you're like, oh, I get it. And it clicks and it just sinks in. And for me, that just happened. I don't, we can talk about the things that I've studied in my life, but I just got it. Apparently not very normal. <laughs> but when you find the person that can explain it, and help you take it out into the world and integrate it and go with what resonates with you and turn the dial up on that. Start being intentional about the way that you're living your life. One of the things that I always say is I don't want you to reconcile your life to your human design. What I want you to do is use your human design as a door and then reconcile your life to what you discover to be true after walking through the door and getting out of our own way of being able to do that. And I think that human design, I've studied a lot of things. I've studied a lot of energy healing, esoteric systems, spirituality. I'm a mystic at heart and human design was the system that grabbed me because when we know how to apply it, the transformation that's possible is just, it's literally beyond anything I've ever encountered and I've encountered a lot. So <laughs> I think that's an amazing overview. And I, what was so cool about it. And like I was saying in the beginning is that when I started this, I just came across it because probably my search terms rang the bell or whatever happened. And 
you can instantly get, I think from your website, you just put in your date of birth, your time of birth, your location of birth, and it gives you this diagram that indicates your type, your stuff, everything with your profile, everything within it. But what happened with me was just like you're saying, who do you connect with? What happened with me was I went down once I had this trying to understand what does this gate mean? What does this gate mean? What is a splenic projector versus a reflector and all these different things. And the challenge with that was it's just like anything. Sometimes too, inform too much information is a bad thing. And when I got the map from you, it was this hundred page document that I've probably read no less than 20 times. And what's so amazing about it is that you put it into layman's terms mm. and like you said, you don't contradict, but you repurpose, I think the meaning it's like reading the Bible. Everybody has their own perspective mm -hmm. about it. You repurpose the meaning behind some of this. And you also give actionable applications for how to learn to see this in your life and how to change that alignment or understand whether this is something that's trauma popping up for you versus this is something you really need to avoid, essentially. Mm. Let me ask you this first. So for people who aren't with down with the terminology quite yet, can you explain the difference between your shadow states versus the states that really will propel you forward? Or the, what the op I almost look at them as opposites. Yeah, so I um, definitely think about this differently than you might find in traditional human design, a huge part of my background is in shadow integration work. I have facilitated shadow work for people for basically all my life, to be honest with you. <laughs> but as a business for 15 years now, when I stumbled into the world of shadow work, it was like life made sense. The way that I talk about it is that Every part of our chart, everyone has a type, everyone has an authority, everyone has a profile, everyone has an incarnation cross, and everyone has centers, and everyone has gates and channels within those centers. But the thing about all of the energy in the chart, and basically all of these correspondences come together to make this, it's called a body graph, to make that out that you saw when you first ran your human design and everything that you could be. So there are five different types. You and I are both projector types. So we'll talk about it through that lens. So as a projector type and what our type tells us is the way our energy interacts with the world around us. There are generators, which is most of the population. And then there's a subset of generators called manifesting generators. There are projectors, there are manifestors, and there are reflectors. And within each of those types, and it depends on the dynamics of the chart, the definition of the chart determines your type, but there is a way that you can go about being a projector, living a projector life where you are basically living in an unconscious state, meaning you are going through your life 
unaware or truthfully as a way of keeping ourselves safe, we repress pieces and parts of ourselves that become shadows. And I always like to clarify what I mean when I use the word shadow, because it's become a popular word. And when I was learning shadow work all those years ago, people weren't talking about shadow. It really only meant one thing. And now it it can mean different things depending on who you're talking to. So when I'm talking about shadow, I'm talking about the unconscious parts of ourselves, the parts of ourselves that we have repressed, hidden, masked, changed, molded in an attempt to be loved, to belong, and to stay safe. As we are growing up as children, young adults, even as adults, when we learn that someone doesn't like a part of us, we turn the dial down on that part. We either mimic the people around us We become a chameleon and that can vary depending on how many undefined or open centers we have in our chart. We can become a chameleon and mimic the people around us, or we'll turn the dial way up on the things that people seem to like. And the more we turn those parts down, they don't like it. That's It's not safe for me to be that way. It's not safe for me to do that. We turn that dial all the way down and we turn it so far down that it becomes completely unconscious. We no longer recognize that as being a part of ourselves. Um, another thing that I like to clarify is that we can have what I call taboo shadows as well as golden shadows. The the differences between them, if we're talking about being a projector type, the energy on both sides, so to speak, is projector energy. It's just the way it gets expressed depending on our level of consciousness of the energy and our ability to harness the full power of our energy. Yeah. That makes so much sense to me. And, and I'm, I'm, Dumbing us down for myself here. Would you say that when we're put in those situations, so perfect example, like the one you gave, I'm around this new group right now. I'm usually very outgoing and open-minded, but all of a sudden I, I walk into a room where people are very clickish and I don't feel comfortable. And so what I do is I d- dial down the Amy a little bit or for somebody else. So that way you fit in and eventually you start going to this group over and over because you're trying to grow your business or whatever it is that you're trying to do. And over time, that becomes part of you and you've taken all that and pushed it down. So now, in essence, do you still have that energy, but maybe when it's projected as being limelight or center of attention versus me just trying to speak my truth? Yeah. One of the things about shadow that is interesting to me is I always say that our shadows leak out sideways. We fit unconscious parts of ourselves, but they are absolutely manifesting in the world. They are absolutely showing up in the outer world. And I often say like, we we can only run from our shadow for so long. Anyone who has struggled with any semblance of addiction, habits they can't break, 
any sort of behavior they can't change or any sort of behavior that negative or bad behavior. It can also be like when we want to start practicing a habit that would make us healthier or a habit that would grow our business or a habit that would improve our relationships, whatever it may be, is we're going to bump into these pieces and parts of ourselves. And it's that that leaking out sideways mm-hmm. that we run into when we're trying to change those patterns. We start to notice that, oh, there's a different part of me running the show here. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that grabbed me about human design was it made them obvious it's oh like I can't hide from myself anymore Uh Uh (laughs) it's like the the navigational beacon it's oh maybe I was being needy okay yeah (laughs) that's because this isn't coming out being projected in the way it should be Got it. You got it. Yeah. It's, it's leaking out sideways and it's, that's what I love about human design is it's a really beautiful mirror and particularly the way that I work with human design, because I am so oriented to shadow integration work. It's that's what I saw when I saw the chart, it was like, oh, this is a map to the shit that we need to heal to be our most expanded versions of ourselves. That, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Well, let me and I love you, that. You are a projector. Like you said, I'm a projector too. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of different things. People can get the information on you know, what that is. But for anybody, regardless of their style, I think even if you don't have a whole lot of background in human design, I think this holds true because people are familiar with the concepts of having trauma that we've buried and it keeps pop flaring up. How do they know when it's that taboo shadow showing up versus mm. let's say intuition, especially in the case of a projector, right? A splenic projector where we're supposed to be guided by this intuition. And I think everybody, regardless of who you are, has a level of intuition. How do you know, okay, this is my intuition telling me something is up versus is this a taboo shadow saying that I just have a fear of abandonment or I feel like my safety's in jeopardy and it's that taboo shadow versus that intuitive guy. Like how, okay. how do you recognize? First, I want to clarify some misconceptions about human design and intuition, because mm-hmm. this is actually talking in my portal with someone about this very recently. Talk, I talk about this a lot, actually. So in human design, there are nine energy centers. And as you have mentioned, both you and I are splenic projectors. And I won't go into the weeds on the mechanics, but I will say that there is a hierarchy. I can never say that word correctly. There's a hierarchy of of authority. And in human design, your authority is a signal that you want to listen to when you're making decisions. And there's a hierarchy depending on the definition in your chart. And so anyone who doesn't have a defined sacral, like a projector, you and I, and they have their spleen center defined. And for anyone who's out there running their chart, pulling it up, defined means it's colored in on the chart and undefined or open means that it's white on the chart. It's It doesn't have any color to it in the body graph. 
And so any projector who has a defined spleen is going to be a splenic projector. And in human design, the spleen is called intuition. One of the things that you've probably heard people talk about, like if they study the Bible, they understand the context with which the Bible was written. When I think about human design, I think about the context in which human design was channeled, was brought here. And it was a very different time than we're living in now. And so in human design, the spleen center, a better word for it would actually be instinct rather than intuition. And we could argue semantics, but I want to make a really important point about intuition because people ask me this all the time is if my spleen isn't defined, does that mean I'm not intuitive? And it comes right on the heels of this question that you're asking about, how do I know if it's my shit coming up or if it's my intuition? And I do have an answer, I promise. When we're talking about intuition in terms of human design, specifically what the intention of splenic intuition is really about the instincts of the body. It's about our sense of taste, our sense of smell. The spleen is what orients us to safety in the world. It is what keeps the body safe. It's what keeps the body well. So intuition mean our sort of extrasensory perception. So our extrasensory perception can, of course, come through the senses of the body. Our extrasensory perception, you can smell something and download information that has nothing to do with whatever you're actually smelling, right? When we're looking at the spleen specifically, we're looking at the body's senses for staying safe and alive. And so here's how that actually ties into the very question that you asked. The body's senses for keeping us safe actually happens through fear. Fear is our intuition. It's our instinct to stay safe. I think the first thing when we're like trying to discern what's happening with me. Am I getting a signal to stop? This isn't healthy for me. Or I'll get, I'm going to the grocery store and I'll get this little, oh, you need to go that way. I'll get some shit downloaded about somebody across the room. The wildest one was I had a premonition that my neighbor was going to die. Two days later, he died. But so how do we discern that? The first thing is to understand that fear, particularly the fears of the spleen, are about keeping the body safe. And they come through our senses. Language is one of my special interest words, are one of my special interests. And I've been like noodling on this for a hot minute here, but it's I'm trying to discern the difference between knowing of the ajna and knowing of the spleen. I don't quite have beautiful poetic words yet. When I do, I'll write about it, I promise. But like that intuition, even if it is the emotion of fear, is it comes with knowing. Mm -hmm. Without knowing how you know. And it's fast and it's sharp and it's clear and it's concise. I like to say it does not ramble. Mm -hmm. 
we know we're getting caught up in our shit when it's rambling, when it's telling us a story about whatever's being received. You can't do that. No, nobody's going to like you if you do that. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're fucked up. You don't know what you're talking about. Pure instinct, that intuitive instinct does not come with all of that. Mm -hmm. That pure intuitive instinct is go that way. Don't open that door. Don't eat that. That's toxic. It's very no based, right? It's very, don't do this. Don't do that. Not safe. Or even like, it's go that way, going to the grocery store instead of that way. It's very direct. It's very do this now. And it's not, I do think that people experience it differently. I tend to be a very direct person. And so mine is very direct and sharp. But there's this sense with it of knowing without knowing how you know, and you just know, go that way, not that way. Mm -hmm. Versus if you go that way, you're going to hit traffic. Where we are caught in our stories, where we are caught in some sort of unconscious expression, where we are getting caught in our shit, where we're getting stuck where we are going, where our energy is collapsing rather than expanding is going to come with stories. It's going to come with details, all this up beautiful. Exactly. And our intuition. Now it, I, I do think that it's similar with the other types of what I would call like the extrasensory intuition where we're like downloading things is that kind of intuition also comes with a knowing without knowing how it's not based on it's illogical. It's not based on anything that we could prove in a court of law or that it's not knowing, oh, I went to math class and I learned that two plus two equals four. And so I have this evidence collected that two plus two equals four we're not talking about that kind of knowing. We're talking about a knowing that's happening in the body where something is landing in the body and the body just knows. Yep. And I find that distinction of that just knowing without knowing how I know is the most important thing. And to notice what is my mind doing? That's it. It's so cool to hear it put that way. And I know we were talking about, I think more the the body there and, and physical protection of your safety, right? Like your literal like safety, your survival. Me, yeah. Take your ass off and start. Get out. Me. Yeah. Does it work the same way from that mental instinct as well? So let's say, obviously you're in business, I'm in business. You're on the phone and you want to do better. You want to make more. People are following their dreams all day, every day. And you're talking to that lead, that prospect, and they're going to sign up with you, but just something is telling you, I don't want this client, but you want their money, right? Especially for those newer business owners, but everything in your nature is going, this is not going to go the right way. 
And then sure enough, six months down the line, they never paid you. They told everybody you're a sham or whatever it is. Is that the same concept except the head talking or the something No, else I think it's like when you were describing that, you said something to the effect of everything in your being. That's your intuition. And that actually leads me to a distinction that I think is important to make. It's not that like our mind, because what you're saying about the money, but I need the money or I want the money or I want the sale or the whatever, like we could get in a whole rabbit hole about that. But it's not that our mind doesn't resist our intuition, Mm -hmm. right? I want to be very clear. I'm talking about the intuitive signal itself. So when you're on the phone with that prospect and your whole being is, no, your mind might be like, but yeah, we got to pay the mortgage though. Uh I'm talking about the moment of knowing, right? Versus just driving down the street and all of a sudden your mind is like raring on about something. Uh Uh-huh. The process of doing shadow integration work and doing a lot of trauma healing. My coach, she actually has a master's degree in coaching and trauma. She's been a very important part of my process, but it's the the story, the intuition that's really just a fear or a shadow part masking itself, really. I think it's really important for us to understand and have compassion for those parts as well. When I said there's a knowing and you don't know how you know, if that knowing comes from a long rambly story, that's probably fear. That's probably, and I think that we have to have compassion for that part of ourselves because healing our shit is scary, right? And when we, so even when we encounter the story of, I want this client because I need to buy groceries, right? That's also a part of us that I personally believe that when these parts of ourselves start showing up, we're getting into resisting the emotional state we're in rather than accessing the wisdom of the emotional state that we're in. But I need the money, Mm -hmm. right? That's going to go a lot of different ways, depending on how we show up for the part that is afraid. And the part that is afraid has a history of, I was raised in like literal scarcity, pinto beans for dinner for days, but doesn't even sort of responses, these fears, these scary situations, no matter what our upbringing was. I think that's another misconception is that, oh, but I had a great childhood. It doesn't really matter because what's actually happening is the way we're interpreting what's happening. That's how these scared parts, these shadow parts get anchored in. It's about how we're interpreting what's happening. And I don't say that to discount really hard shit that happens because I'm one of those children that had some really hard shit happen. But we have to be present for those parts of ourselves. And one of the things that people ask me a lot about human design, and I think this kind of gets to the heart of what we're talking about here 
I know what my inner wisdom is telling me. My inner wisdom is saying, this client, don't do it. And I have bills to pay. And what do I do? One of the things in traditional human design would say, don't take the client. Mm -hmm. And I don't actually approach it that way. I think the most important thing we can ever do in any of these situations is tell ourselves the truth. Just tell yourself the truth and go into it eyes wide open, right? Oh, I'm doing this for the money. I'm taking the client anyway and using that as an opportunity, go deeper within Mm -hmm. and to start unwinding the voice that you have to take clients because you need the money. I think this conversation is taking an interesting turn. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. Because one of the things is like, we live in a society where part of it, right? Money's part of it. We are in not even just a capitalist society, but basically a capitalist world. It's the matrix where they're telling us what we have to have, how we need to buy, how we need to live, how we need to eat. Right. Yeah. All of that. We're listening. listening. Yeah. Yeah. We are listening. And that's the thing that like, we have to have compassion for that. I think, and I'm guessing you've seen a lot of this as well. We internalize that kind of stuff. I'm the only one who wants to take the client, even though my body is telling me, no, I'm fucked up. I'm broken. If I were not so messed up, I would just say no. But when we get into these stories about there's something wrong with me and it's literally the water we're swimming in, we have to deliberately take ourselves out of the water. It's everyone around us. There's no one who hasn't been indoctrinated with you're not good enough and I can sell you this thing that's going to make you enough. Like all of us. And if we look at that through the lens of human design, when I started doing shadow work with people, the thing that I started noticing and it was coming up both in myself and in the people that I was working with is the story of not enoughness, of unworthiness, of not deserving. And I did a lot of healing around that. And I tell people now, like worthiness is not a thing. It's basically like remnants of toxic religion, patriarchy, and capitalism. That's what that story is. It's not real. And when we believe that it is real, it keeps us on this hamster wheel of trying to prove, be enough, do more, be prettier, be smarter, be richer, like all the things. And when I came into human design and talked about the will center, depending on where you run the chart, the colors might be different. But on a traditional human design chart, there's going to be a a diamond in the middle. That's called the G center. And on a traditional chart, if it's defined, it will be yellow. If it is undefined or open, it will be white. And then there's a teeny tiny triangle off to the right. 
And if it's defined, it will be red. If it is undefined, it will be white. That teeny tiny little triangle off to the right of the diamond is called the will center. Some people call it the ego center. Some people call it the heart center. But that center is where self-worth comes from. That's the center where we know our value in the world. And I like to say it's how we know our cash money value in the world, like not some airy fairy. It's very connected into our identity or attachment to being human. It's about the human, the mundane experience, that will center. And it's where self-worth comes from. And most people on the planet have that center undefined. And so when I learned that, why do all these people feel unworthy? What is happening? And then human design is because most of the planet is like trying to prove their worth. They're trying to like gain that definition. They're trying to, they're being conditioned in this very will. Yeah. So if, and if it's undefined and I could be totally wrong on this, but if it's undefined, that means that we almost try to do that off the energy of those around us. So if we're constantly being inoculated with organized religions or what's on the news or our loser friends that we're still hanging out with from high school, then, and we have been doing that. (laughs) Got rid of them girl, dump them. Um, (laughs) but if it's undefined, like we're going to soak that up almost. Right. Yeah. We don't have to, but yes, the difference between defined, undefined, open, as I said before, defined means when you run your human design chart, it's colored in. If it's undefined, it will be white. And then if you'll look around the center, there will be these gates Undefined means that you have gates that are defined. Open means there are no gates defined surrounding the white center. It's completely white. The gates around it and the center itself are white. And you can think of the way I think about defined versus undefined and open. I personally interpret open to be like a more intense version of undefined. And the way I like to explain it is I, I caught the toolbox, the van and the shed metaphor. So the places where we are defined in our chart, in our incarnation cross, and that's going to be the four gates, the, um, the four gates at the very top of the chart in the conscious sun, earth, unconscious sun, earth. So if it's in our cross, it's automatically defined. Those are our tools that go in our toolbox. Say you're a handyman, you have a toolbox. The the tools inside your incarnation cross, they're going to be defined. They are the tools that you take on every job you do. No matter what job you get hired for, you take in your toolbox. That's your incarnation cross. Every job needs these tools. And then when we look further out, so our definition beyond our incarnation cross, those tools are in the van. It's, oh, I'm getting called to do a job today that needs this tool. 
And I need this tool often enough that I keep it in my van so that when I'm out on the job, I have ready access to Mm -hmm. that tool. I just don't need it in my toolbox because I'm not going to need it every single time. And then I have a shed at home. Our shed at home is our undefined places, the places that are white in the chart. We fulfill our mission, live our purpose, however you want to say that. We're only very rarely going to need those tools. Okay. We're going to need them so rarely that in our day-to-day life as a handyman with a toolbox and a van, we can actually even leave those tools at home. But then... If there's a certain job that I get hired for, it's in the shed and I know where it's at and I know how to get it. So if we take, does all that make sense? It is. It's a great analogy. My dad was a contractor and <laughs> when well, I was- It's applicable to so many things in fact. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and we can all relate, right? Um, there's shit you keep in your purse. Yeah. There's shit you keep in the car. And then there's the shit you keep in that hidden room you don't want anybody to see. Like That's right. That's right. And some of that shit you just need to get rid of right now. Some of that shit you just need to get rid of. Yeah. <laughs> so bringing that back around to the conversation about the will center and the self-worth and all that stuff, people with a defined will center, so that teeny tiny triangle off to the right of the diamond, on a traditional chart, it's going to be colored in red. If that's colored, their ego-based attachments, they're like, I am this. I am a provider. What happens with the defined will center is that person is going to be very driven to expand their identity-based attachments. And that serves the higher heart of the G-Center. When they show up in their egoic energy... Mm -hmm it's actually in service to their higher heart. It's actually how they expand their consciousness by proving themselves. Is that by, or For someone with a defined will center, yes. They get energy from proving it. And here's where it's a problem for those of us who have it undefined, which is most of the population. I've, I might be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure it's 63% Mm -hmm. that might be wrong it's somewhere in that range but most of the population basically when you have shitty energetic boundaries you're going to be absorbing that i need to prove i need to prove i need to prove and for the person who incarnated with a defined will center that needing to prove has like a higher spiritual purpose it has a a deeper meaning Mm-hmm. And my cat is over here ripping the shit out of a plastic bag. <laughs> He's living his purpose. <laughs> He's living his best life. So what happens is we absorb that energy and that's not energy that we're supposed to have in the toolbox. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to be in the shed. And I think that this gets confusing for a lot of people with human design is they think, oh, if I'm undefined, that means I'm never, ever supposed to do that. 
but that's not actually the case. What's happening in all the places we're undefined, the Will Center included, is the way they talk about it in traditional human design is that we're becoming wise. So <clears throat> the person with an undefined will, who is most people listening to this podcast, I don't know if you, is yours defined or undefined? I was actually just opening my book to see. I think it's undefined, but I'm going to tell you real quick. The, which one is that? The, it's the teeny tiny triangle. It's the G ego heart will is open. Mine's open. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have the 51, the 40, the 26 or the 21. You don't have any of those gates stand in the value that you bring to the planet. Mm -hmm. Right. You can even hear in the words that it's, oh, wait a minute. There are situations where I would want to stand in the value, particularly when we're talking about business. Sure. So on, in these places where we're undefined or open, where open just means it's going to turn the dial up on this even more. So I have a undefined will center. I have a hanging gate 51. If yours is completely all the way white around, that just means your experience with proving yourself, your sense of worthiness, your sense of value in the world, and your cash money value, the gifts that you bring to the world that people will spend money in exchange for, that for you is going to be even more amplified than it is for me. It's just going to be even bigger experience of it. So the thing with these undefined places is that when they say we're becoming wise, what I think is a better way to think about it is that we're discerning mm -hmm. which jobs we need to bring the stuff in the shed to. And we're doing that with integrity. And by integrity, I mean by telling ourselves the truth. We are doing it intentionally and on purpose in a way that enhances our experience, expands us rather than collapses us. In business, if you're constantly trying to prove your worth and you have an undefined center, if you have an undefined will center and you're constantly trying to prove your worth, I'm good enough, look at my value, I'm so goddamn valuable. And you're, oh my God, let me just bang the like ego drum. Like you're gonna burn out. It's going to happen. And you'll probably but get like, thankful too, right? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably, especially if you're a projector like you and I. It's like understanding when is it actually useful for me to call upon this energy? And can I call upon this energy with integrity without it causing harm to myself. Does that make uh, sense what I'm saying? Yep. That's what we're doing in all of our undefined places. And so for anyone who thinks this idea of worthiness is made up, it's literally made up. It's not a real thing. And so that's part of my becoming wise, right? So I do tend to not choose things, choose to do things where it's like, oh, I'm going to have to prove my worth here. I'm highly discerning in my use of that energy uh -huh. because I personally believe that every time we try to prove our worthiness, which is not a real thing, 
we're actually just feeding the toxic religion. We're feeding patriarchy. We're feeding capitalism. And what I like to tell people, particularly when we get into this worthiness conversation is what happens if you take your focus off of that, right? Just take it off the table. Don't make it part of the conversation. How much money you make. None of that has to do with worthiness because worthiness is not a thing. And if you knew that in your bones, what would you be doing right now? Go do that. Because I see people on this quest for worthiness. It's, oh, I got to own my worth. And it's actually, that's just the same flip side of feeling unworthy. You're trying to chase the thing you actually want by doing the things that will like get you there rather than trying to believe you're worthy of it. It's such an interesting concept, the way that you put it, because I literally made a post on Facebook about you don't have to prove any worth to anybody. And that's what we do. We go and we become part of these groups or friendship circles or whatever you want to call Whatever. It. Yeah. You feel like you have to prove something to somebody, but you just are. You spend so much time and energy trying to do Yeah. It's a waste of your energy. Totally. When you could be using all the stuff that's in your toolbox and in the van yeah. to really get to the next level. So does totally. That, does that feed in? And I'm so sorry, we're four minutes over. Do you have a Oh, I'm extremely neurodivergent and time blind. So we'll just go. <laughs> right, honey. Does that feed into, especially like being a projector where, you know, and one of the things is that they say if, if you're a projector, then especially from a business perspective, this took me a hot minute to wrap my head around that you need to wait for the invitation because we struggle with recognition and needing to be recognized. And then if we don't get the recognition and we force it upon ourselves, then in the end, it turns, we get a little bitter and resentful, which I totally, we do to all those places. When you're thinking about it, having, you do these things to prove that you're the person that people should be coming to from a business perspective or even in relationships. You're out in your 20s and you're trying to find the one and you're getting the fake lashes and you're pumping up the lips and the tits and what else comes along with it to prove yourself. And it's taken, again, all this energy and we're never sitting back and just being like, okay, this is who I am. These are the best parts of myself. This is the energy that I have stored up that I can use in this place. I'm going to tell all these other guys, no. But what does that invitation look like? Because you've built a wildly successful company that gives you the freedom and, and the lifestyle that you want. How did you do that with the waiting piece of it? With okay. being recognized? This is where I think understanding one of the things I tell people a lot, I want to be very clear because I'm just wired the way that I'm wired and I I just do what I do. Mm -hmm. But like a lot of people, it's like, they'll take a training in human design. They'll read books in human design. They study other people's interpretation of human design. That's what people are studying. That's not what I study. What I study is what's called the mechanics of human design. So what I'm studying is I'm looking at, okay, you have an undefined will center that corresponds to Tipareth and the Kabbalah. 
It corresponds to the heart chakra. It has these gates in it. It has gate 51. And that corresponds to Aries. And do you understand what I'm saying here? That's what I study when I study human design. I have a post on my blog where I have the actual number. I'm probably going to get it wrong right now. But something like... I want to say it's 67% of the energy in the chart is projected energy. Remember earlier when we talked about there's five different types, technically it's four with one subtype, there's generators, and then the subtype of manifesting generators, then there's projectors, manifestors, and reflectors with everyone except for a reflector. Each of the 64 gates in the chart are a specific type of energy. The energy is either projected, generated, or manifested. Let's start with the manifested because in the new age, that term gets jerked around a lot in the human design space. And it does not mean in human design, manifesting does not mean what we've come to understand it in the new age. In human design, what it means to manifest is to have an inside energy and express it in the world. I feel sad. I am crying. In human design, that is manifesting. It's not, oh, I'm going to think my way to a beautiful house and shiny car. That's not what manifesting is. Did you ever see that? (laughs) It's about our capacity to bring inside energy out into the world. That's what manifested energy is. And then there's generating energy. So all generators will have a defined sacral, which is where the generated energy lives. Mm -hmm. And that energy, it's literally, do you have hurricanes where you live and the power gets knocked out? Mm-hmm. So like a generator, yeah. right? Like you put gas in it. Yeah. That's what a generator does is it's taking energy and it's amplifying and it's making it bigger. It's generating energy. So if you go into a room full of lit up generators, the energy is going to be amazing. You're going to be like riding on a cloud of unicorns with rainbows shooting out everywhere. But then if you walk into a meeting with a bunch of disgruntled, pissed off, hating life generators, they're Mm -hmm. generating, they are generating more of their inner experience. They're generating more of that. Mm -hmm. They are providing the vital life force. And I also mean that's where baby making happens. It happens in the sacral. That's generated energy. And then we have projected energy. I have a whole series on my blog about this, about the different ways that projection can show up in the chart because they don't, projection is another one of those terms that in time has come to mean that in human design, it doesn't always mean. means it sometimes, but not always. And in the case of projected energy in the chart, projected gates in the chart, 
I like to make the distinction that we're not talking about psychological projection. We're not talking about, I have this deep, dark wound that I don't want to own within myself. And so I'm making that about you. <clears throat> That's not what projected energy is in the chart. In the chart, projected energy, particularly when we're talking about projector aura and projector gates, the like 67% of the energy in the chart is <clears throat> more like a movie projector. It's there's a film. I don't know how it works these days, but I know there used to at least be like a film. And then if you went to the movies, you could see it and it shines this bright ass light through the film and then projects it onto the screen. And so the people in the theater, they can see it. They can see that teeny tiny ass picture. So that's what projected energy does in the human design chart. It's shining a laser light through it and making that energy big enough for other people to see it. And when you have a projector aura type, the aura sort of like drills into the heart of the other, into the G of the other. It literally drills down. Like, I'm like, I will drill into the depths of your soul. Like... And it can be a little bit standoffish for Pete, make them standoffish, right? And that's what we're about to talk about. That's what we're about to talk about. So I literally have to preface some of my conversations with, look, I'm going to try to get in your business and you don't have to answer any questions you don't want to, but I, I just genuinely want to understand so we can find this issue. Yeah. So when we're thinking about what this projected energy requires, the receptivity of the other. So if you and I are having a conversation mm -hmm. and you are drilling into the depths of my soul and you illuminate, you project onto the movie screen, this bucket of shame I've been carrying around, <laughs> I need to trust you. I need to know you have got me when you're drilling into the depths of my soul mm -hmm. and helping me see stuff that's hard to look at, that's hard to see. You're helping me see where I'm not telling myself the truth, where I am living out of my shed. Yeah. And so when we understand the energetics of that, oh, if you are my, I call it being a projector in somebody's pocket. If you're the projector in my pocket, I have to trust you. And so <clears throat> that's what the invitation is for. It's because of what's happening with that projected energy. I'm going to show you your shit so fucking big. You will not be able to ignore it after I've pointed it out to you. That's what projectors do. And people are like, yeah, but doesn't everyone do that? Yeah, because everyone has projected energy. But as a projector type, the sole focus of what we do is to be penetrating. I correlate it to sex. Like you have to be open to receive it. You do. Yep. And so when we're talking about waiting for the invitation as the projector, what's going to happen if you are deeply penetrating the depths of my soul? And I'm like, no, thanks. Don't want that. 
you as a projector are going to be exhausted if you keep doing that. And I'm probably going to be pissed because difference between allowing myself to be recognized and invited versus earning, proving based energy is about being attached to being human, to being wrapped up in your human identity. And for those with a defined will center, that's the way it's supposed to be. But the difference for a projector type, or even you can get into some really interesting dynamics where there are manifestors who actually only have projected energy or generators who only have unconscious generating energy and conscious projected energy can create some really interesting dynamics. But for the projector type, for the type where it's my primary job is to drill into the souls of other people and to illuminate shit. Mm-hmm. Call you um, on your bullshit, right? Call you on your shit, point out your shit, help you see where you're not telling yourself the truth, where you're lo- like all that. And when you're in that proving energy, it's like, if I don't do this, I'm not going to succeed. I'm not going to get what I want because the will is very bound up in the material world and actually service as in serving others. It's I have to do this in order to be good enough. If I don't do this thing, I don't deserve blah, blah, blah thing. If I don't show up in this way, I haven't given any value. Okay. That's will energy. Projector energy. It's more queen. And I'm thinking about the tarot card. Um, I think it's the high priestess. I'm getting a a picture of the tarot card coming into my mind. And I think it's from the luminous tarot. But there's a very relaxed energy about it. There's like a elegant cockiness. There's almost like a humble swagger, right? (laughs) Yeah. There's a, there's a knowing. I see shit right? I see some shit. And it's not so in that ego energy, it's about defining the self as a incarnate human being. I am Joe and I earn a living, right? Here's an example that I think might crystallize this a little bit better. One of the things that I talk to projectors about all the time is there's the prize does not chase. Will energy is very chasing, but the prize does not chase is I got some good shit over here. You'd be lucky to have. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, and if you want it, you can come to me. Like it's, and it's relaxed. Now, if a projector has a defined will center, they may experience it slightly differently because their growth actually comes from making that attached human incarnation, making that identity bigger. But, okay, I'm just going to ask you a question here. If you're the projector in my pocket and you're drilling into the depths of my soul and I'm over here in my shame bucket, you are not at all surprised. That's 
what I described, right? Like you've had a knowing your whole life that you can see some shit. Yeah. And that the people don't always like what you can see. And right? a lot like of that was they don't like they don't see it until I say it. And then exactly. they still are like, oh no, that's not it. And I'm like, the fuck it ain't. And I then they come back it. three years later and they were right. like, right. yes. Um that's where the relaxedness comes from. And I and I always like to be clear that waiting is not passive. We have to allow ourselves to be seen. We have to allow people to see that we got some good shit. So waiting is not hiding. Waiting is not sitting in your living room and twiddling your thumbs and hoping that's not what waiting that, that is. The universe, you manifested enough. <laughs> yeah. I got some good shit over here. And then... Instead of, I don't know why this is the picture I'm getting in my head, but when you're driving through the suburbs with the shopping malls and shit and the mattress guy is out there and he's flipping that thing, look at me and the thing is waving and (laughs) it's not like that. Or another way to say it is it's not going up to people in the grocery store and tell it's it's not, do you want to join my MLM and calling everybody in your family? Yeah, it's not, it's more about waiting for it to be juicy and open. Waiting for their receptivity. Because as a projector or a type, I'm not trying to be in the experience of you're over there in your shame bucket and you're not liking it and you're not taking it well. Uh I'm not trying to be there. (laughs) That's it. When I... It's funny because when I first started my business, which was like 14 years ago, I was, I would push so much and I would burn out. And I think we all do it if you don't have obviously this education in the beginning. And like, you finally get to the point where it's like, something's got to give. And then in learning all this, like you said, you study the mechanics, which I think is brilliant because then you know not only how to ride the bike, but what makes the bike work. That's what I'm fascinated by because I do think that culturally everyone waits. Even the manifestor in human design waits. They're they're waiting for something very different than what all the other types are waiting mm-hmm. for. We lit capitalism. We're not supposed to wait for shit. You're supposed to go out there and you're supposed to get right, it. Right, run, yeah. It can be hard in the human design space. I think that this is a bigger problem than the conversation we're just having is that so many of the words that get used in human design have just acquired so much baggage, right? We think waiting means sitting around doing nothing, eating bonbons and watching Netflix. And maybe it does look like that sometimes, But you understand what I'm saying? It's there's this baggage that comes with these words. And so there can be resistance. Like I ain't waiting for shit. When we understand the mechanics of it, when we understand, like I'm penetrating the depths of your soul, I'm going to have to hold space for shame, for embarrassment, for the process of figuring things out. Like it's like when I can understand what's happening energetically, mechanically. It's, oh, I don't actually want to just plow through giving 
every Tom, Dick and Harry advice. I don't actually want to do that. Yep. Yep. I, I would much rather have a conversation who's like eating every word like candy than someone who's just like, why are you talking to me? Yes. And so to me, that's what the mechanics of human design do it's, it's like when I can understand that, I can understand why I'm waiting and what it actually means. What am I waiting for? And I think that brings back to the question around how do you build a business at when you're waiting? And it's, <clears throat> so my business is extremely successful, far beyond any expectation I ever had for myself. I think, I don't know how old you are, but like, when I was growing up, it was the conversation for women in particular was like, the best you can hope for is becoming a nurse and making $60,000 a year, right? That was the conversation. And for me, it has really been a matter of moving into that. What did we call it? Gentle. What did we call it? What did you say? You had an even better. Humble swagger. Yeah, it's moving into that. It's me recognizing myself, me recognizing because I had a really profound moment with human design. And because for me, I just got into it for myself. I had been coaching for years. I had a full one-on-one practice. I had no intentions of getting into human design. But the chart because I have studied the only system that I had not studied was the I Ching. I had been studying alchemical magic, Kabbalistic magic for years, astrology. I do say that I know just enough astrology to make my human design better. I can't go into the super weeds on astrology, but I had been, I'm a master energy healer, had been studying all this stuff for years and years. When I saw the chart, it was like, oh yeah, that's how energy works. It just made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And like, <clears throat> I became fascinated with it. And so it started to be part of the conversations that I was having with people. And people are like, can you read my chart? can I pay you to read my chart? And I'm like, no, I don't do that. <clears throat> no, I don't do that. No, I don't do that. No, no. And then finally, I was like, good goddamn, give me money, my God. <laughs> All right, I get it, I get it. And a really profound experience because in traditional human design, to put it mildly, traditional human design has a very negative connotation. It's a lot of the language is very disempowered. It's very rigid. It's very fixed. So many people feel like there's something here, but I just can't get with the words. Like I just can't get with how it's explained. I don't, people feel limited and it makes people like collapse instead of expand. And so I was like making the very first map that I ever made and surrounded by the books and the <clears throat> the pens and the everything. And 
um, the person that I made the map for has gate 60 in their conscious sun and gate 60, ironically enough, is in traditional human design is the gate of limitation. And it's one of the few gates in the chart that has a really bad rap. Like if you get with some of these human design people and you have gate 60, they're basically going to tell you your life is meant for suffering. You're fucked. And <laughs> for real, I had a human design analyst tell me that I should go on unemployment and play video games the rest of my life. I don't even have gate 60. So, but what was happening with my books and my pens and my highlighters, it's, I had this deep knowing I have something to say here and people need to hear it the way I will say it. And it was that humble swagger. Oh, it was me recognizing me because people had been trying to recognize me for months and months. Like, when can I give you money? You can't, right? It was me stepping into that. Mm -hmm. It was me, oh, I have something here. And people need what I have specifically. Because like, how many people are teaching human design? Mm -hmm. A lot. And there's some amazing people out there, right? <clears throat> and I think that there are so many amazing people who talk about human design, but in that moment, I literally knew, I just knew because I got this vision of her as a child and cause this is someone that I knew personally and she had a very traumatic upbringing and I was sobbing what if she would have seen like the beauty what if she would have seen that full spectrum what if she would have known that there's a different expression possible what if she had known that limitation is the riverbanks of creativity and magic. What if she knew that? What if she knew that these limitations that she was experiencing in her life were the fuel for magic? What if she knew that? What if she didn't have to wait until she was 40? And I'm going to say something that may people are probably not expecting. The next day, my brother died of a drug overdose. And it was the most paradoxical moment of my life because there was this deep recognition and this deep knowing. And it, literally the first time in my life, I felt that way about myself. I felt, oh my God, I have something to offer people. And <clears throat> Brian, he died of a drug overdose the next day. And... At his funeral, there were hundreds of people and they were talking about how Brian was full of heart. And Brian, he lived the kind of life that on the outside, looking in, you would not say that Brian was someone who was living his purpose. You would not say that. 
you would say, oh, he's definitely doing life wrong. He's fucking it up. He's got it completely wrong. <clears throat> and at that point, I ha I hadn't been down the human design rabbit hole for every person in my life yet. And I was very touched at his funeral. And I was like, I have to know his human design. And I came home. I ran his chart. His incarnation cross is the vessel of love. And his G center is lit up like a firecracker. And I just, it was like this, uh, I always say that like grief is like a cauldron. It's so much stuff mixed together. It didn't matter what his life looked like on the outside. He impacted people with his heart. So much so that there were hundreds of people that said the same thing. And it was like this sort of marriage happened between that experience with Brian and then the experience I had making that very first map people they need this information and they need to know that no matter what it looks like on the outside that there's light and it matters and it makes a difference and that is for me, it's so very different than let me prove to you that I can explain human design. It's in my cells. Mm -hmm. And I know we took a little bit of a dark turn there for a minute. Yeah, um, thank you for sharing that story with me because I think it's almost like with that other synchronicity, unfortunately, for you to say, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And people might think I'm crazy and I think it's crazy right now, but, and I'm not going to- Oh, I'm the biggest human design skeptic on the planet. <laughs> it's, I'm not going to force this on you, but hey. Uh, I apparently I know some shit. <laughs> I know some shit. I, and you do it so eloquently and so applicable to life and all the things that are going on in, in your blogs, definitely in the training, in the huge map. And that's, like you said, I think it's just putting that information out there and letting people do what they will with it. It's like, exactly this all the time. Look, I don't need to convince you that you should be doing this. I just need to let you know that I'm somebody who does it really fucking well and you should probably- And when you're ready for it, I'm here. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And it's, for me, there's been like a, there's like an unfolding that happens because if you've been someone who your whole life, I need to prove myself. I need to earn my worth. I need to hustle for my worthiness. I need to prove that I deserve this or that. If you've been in that energy, most of your life, you're not just going to snap out of it. I think for projector types in particular, and to be clear, this is one of the points that I make in that series on my blog is that we are all hungry for recognition. We all want 67% of the chart needs recognition. It needs receptivity of another person, right? Because if I'm sitting here staring into the depths of your soul and you don't want it, That's right. nothing happens with it. 
My gift can't go anywhere if you don't want it. And on some level, we all experience that. We all experience, I have something to give. And it's really just a matter of owning it. Of, oh, I have something. It's it's life-changing. It really is. And just like you said, being able, some people just aren't ready. And that's okay. I tell my, I say other half, not better half, my other half all the time. Look. You don't need to have your little crystals. I don't care. You can call me like a whack job, whatever you want. You're not ready for it. I can't push understanding and self-acceptance and all this on you. But just know when you're ready, I'll be here. And I I, I watch how many tiptoes and you might ask a question or what do you think of this? But what's so funny to me is how many people are just genuinely afraid of what they'll find out. Yeah. That, yeah, I think we could go on a lot of rabbit holes with that one because even to the point of your podcast, we all have shit. We all have shit. And I think I would even go so far as to say that I know that culturally, particularly in the West, like we have not prepared people to deal with it. We haven't taught people how to process emotion. We haven't taught people how to confront parts of themselves that I have an exercise in one of my old courses. It's called shadow and light. And I taught it for years and I tell them to help them identify shadow is imagine that you're driving down the highway and there's a billboard and it has your dirtiest, darkest secret on it. What if that didn't feel dirty and shameful anymore? I love that we haven't given people those skills. And I think that's why it's so important to, because what happens particularly with projector types is if they don't want my magical gift, then it must be something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. No, first of all, maybe you're not the projector for them. Maybe you're not for them. And then also Can you understand that it's hard to be in your shame bucket and we're not equipped for that. We're not taught how to process that. We're not taught how to handle the skeletons in our closet. We're not taught any of that. And yeah, it's part of what it means to recognize ourselves as projectors. It can be hard for someone. So many things, so many good topics that you've you've touched (laughs) on. I'm like, I'm going to be going. And again, I read your emails every day. I read the blog and now I'm going to be on the internet again going, oh, what's Christy think of this? I love it. I love it. I love everything that you put out. I love it. Thank you. Given me all your time today and like just knowledge and shared it. I can't recommend enough that anybody with a smidgen of not even an interest in human design, but just wanting to get started to maybe slightly possibly want to unpack the teeniest, tiniest of your bullshit, go and do that. <laughs> what do you have to lose? Nothing. Christy, what's your, your website? They can go and get their chart and everything else, right? My website is christyinge.com. And there's a way to 
buy the map there. And then you can also look at some of my most popular content. If you go there, I'm most well known for the way that I work with the gates specifically. So that's typically people's first introduction to me. I'm very well known around the gates because I do talk about them in a way that's not common. And you can get on my email list You can get, you can do all that stuff. I don't really do a lot on social. True to my second line, I'm a hermit. I don't do a lot out there in the world. I save it all up for my blog. (laughs) (laughs) Which is phenomenal. It's a great read. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely strongly recommend, like I said, anybody. Because it just opens your mind to who am I? Why am I doing this? What am I here for? And where do I want to go? And how do I want to start living? I think so many different things. Yeah. And getting out of our own way and going on the inside. Absolutely. What I'm going to do, I usually um, create a resource for each of these episodes. You had, there were just so many takeaways and so many just little bitty moments of, oh my God, that's so great. Mm -hmm. What I'm going to do is in the resource, I'm just going to link back to your site where people can go and they can get their map get access to the course if they want to do that as well, which I think is super helpful because it takes you through the conditioning process and all the gates and understanding them. And what am I reading? And what am I looking at? What does this mean? So I'll drop that in there too. But is there any last minute tidbits or pieces of information for people? I think if you are someone who's already interested in human design, which I know human design has become more and more popular over the years, definitely check out my website. And if you want me to explain the most important parts of your design, what I perceive as the most important parts of the design, that's what the map does. And then inside the portal, which you get access to after your map is delivered, is I'll guide you what what to do after that. And Yeah, we have some really good conversations inside the portal and I love nerding out on this stuff. (laughs) I, I do know that I can be a bit of a fire hose and if you like that kind of thing (laughs) with a little bit of a smart, sassy mouth, potty mouth. (laughs) Uh, It's a Southern trait, right? (laughs) Then I'm your girl. Oh, I love it. I love it. And again, thank you so much for doing this with me today. Yeah, so fun. I've had a blast. I'm totally going to go reread my map again after this and probably dive back into the stuff that I already have my whole HD book of notes thing Mm, here. Love it. Thank you so much, Christy. Like I said, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I love being here. That's a wrap on this episode of Skeletons from the Closet with me, your go-to gal for turning chaos into growth, Amy Ball. If you love the ride, then sprint on over to our Skeletons website for more even badass resources. Oh, and if you dig what I'm putting down, don't be a stranger. Subscribe, drop a review, and maybe even leave a saucy comment. Until next time, keep building that trust and turning your struggles into damn superpowers.